Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. Paul says, What shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What we're going to do tonight is, is finish up this section of verses that we were in last week so that we can actually finish up hopefully tonight Romans 7 and possibly, Lord willing, move into chapter 8 as well. As we've already seen, Paul already state and here clarify in more detail, the law not only reveals our sin, it fuels our sin. We already saw as we just read, Paul said, I didn't even know what coveting was till the law said don't covet. And then every covetous desire rose up in me. Look at Romans chapter 7 again, verse 5. Look at Romans 7, verse 5. It says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by what? Aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. As we've already seen, the law points out our sin, but it does more than point out our sin. It fuels our sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. How, how, come, how come the law was added? It was added to increase the trespass. Remember, one sin is going to make you guilty before God. And once you're guilty before God, you're in trouble. But if you don't think you're that guilty because all I've done is one sin, the law comes in and lets you realize actually you are a sinner and it fuels that desire to sin and your sin increases even more. You already have the problem. It just makes it bigger. Now, we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail in just a little bit. But Paul is laying this out for us, that the law doesn't just reveal the fact that you're sin or point out your sin. It actually fuels it because there's a problem with us. And that's what the law does. It actually brings that problem to life. Now, the question, though, look at Romans chapter seven, verses eight through 11 again, because the question I want to ask you is, does the law bring death to us? Because it sure seems to read that way. Look at Romans seven, verses eight through 11. In Romans 7, verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that shirt look like I was okay until I heard the law? I was alive, and then the law came? And I died. So here's the question. Does the law bring death to us? Were we okay until the law said, thou shalt not? And then all of a sudden it killed us? Well, to sh the short answer, and I'm going to give you the short answer first. Then we're going to go into the long answer. The short answer is no. That's not the answer. Look at verse 13 of Romans 7 again. Romans 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin 
producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. I want to remind you, because we've already looked at this in our study, sin, which was already in us, kills us. The law just simply brings it out and speeds the process. Now, if you remember, all the people who lived and then died from Adam all the way until Moses, when the law came, they all died, right? Well, the soul that sins, it shall die. But they didn't die because they broke the law. There were no commandments for them to break. How come they died then? They had sin in them. It had already been the wages of sin is death. They had already had sin passed on to them from Adam. Even though there was no law per se, and I'm going to show you that there actually was. Even though there was no law that we would say was there to have them become, have it, bring their sin to life and, and have them die. There kind of was. But what killed them wasn't the law. It was the sin that was already in them. Go back with me to Romans chapter 5 and look again at verses 12 through 14. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam all the way to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So look closely. Sin was already indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin's not counted where there is no law. Well, Jim, okay, if sin's not counted where there is no law, and all these people died, that tells us that they had sin. So what does it mean then that I was alive until the law came? And then sin rose up in me and I died. What does it mean when it says sin's not counted when there is no law? See, when we read that, we think, well, those people from Adam to Moses didn't break a commandment, which the scripture says. But we also read that they had no law. If you think that they had no law, even though the law came at the time of Moses, you don't remember Romans chapter 2. Go back to Romans chapter 2 and look at verses 12 through 16. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... They're actually a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Don't miss what Paul says here. There's a group of people that never had the law of God or the law of Moses, but they did. His law was written on their hearts. We've already talked about this, that whether or not anybody's heard God's law, every one of us are born with a sense of right and wrong. And our conscience either convicts us or, 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 or acquits us. Every one of us are born with a sense of right and wrong. And as I've asked you before, have you ever gone against what you in your heart thought was right or wrong? Of course you did. Well, whether or not you ever heard God's written law, he wrote his law on your heart. And he's shown you you're a lawbreaker. So even though the people from Adam to Moses never had the law of Moses, did they have a law? Yes. And they were guilty. And they died because of sin. Did the law kill them? No. 
The sin that was in him is what killed him. Now, you also have to remember earlier our lesson on the age of accountability. We're all born with sin from conception, but the law, either written on tablets of stone or written on our hearts, reveals to us our guilt. Once this has happened, we are now accountable for the, pr the proper response to this problem that we all have. In other words, if you remember when we did our study of the age of accountability, how that we, believe, we ta taught that the scripture teaches that children at a certain age probably are most likely going to be in heaven because God loves children and they're not accountable until a certain place and every one of us, our age is all different. But once God opens your eyes to your sin problem, you're now accountable for what he's revealed to you. And the Bible is very, very clear that we're all going to be judged according to how much light he's revealed to us. We've already looked at the fact that Jesus said it'll be easier in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum. Because Capernaum had more revealed to them with Jesus walking in their midst and doing the miracles and so on. But at the same time, there are children that die early or die in the womb who are in the presence of God because they're not accountable for their sin because God had never opened their eyes to it. In other words, they were alive. Even though they had sinned, they were alive because the law never came to spring that sin problem to life. But for every one of us, it's a different age. It might be for you four years old. It might be for another six or another eight. But there comes a point where God reveals to us, either through his written law or his law written on our hearts, that sin problem we all have, we're all born with it. And the law just simply brings it out and shows us what it is and fuels it at the same time. Now, some of you are sitting there going, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to blind myself to the law of God because that way I won't be accountable for it, right? Let me say something to you. The fact that you're already trying to blind yourself from something means you already know it's there. Guilty. So it won't do you any good to say, oh, I'll just act like it doesn't exist. No, it's too late. You're already acting like something doesn't exist that you know exists. You're guilty before God. But that's what Paul said was saying, so I was alive until the law came and then I died. Was it the law that killed me? No. It was sin in me that killed me. The law just brought it to light and sped up the process. Now, go to Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of my God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law 
of sin. Now, for years, theologians have wrestled with, is Paul talking about his experience before Christ, or is he talking about his experience after? And I used to go back and forth, but I have settled hard on the fact, I believe without question, and thank God, I can't wait to show it to you, Paul's talking about his experience after salvation. Twice he says in there, it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwelling in me. Something has happened. There's been a transition that has occurred for him to say it's no longer. Something's happened. He's after talking about after salvation. And I don't know about you. I'm so glad this section of scripture's here. Because I can look you in the eye and tell you, as close as I get to Jesus, I used to always think the closer I get to Jesus, the less I'd struggle with sin. The closer I walked with the Lord, temptations would go away. Actually, I'm telling you right now, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize my wretchedness. The more I realize my need of him. And I need to tell you about something tonight. Something you know, but you probably don't know. You're in a war. I say, oh, Jim, I know we're in a war. We're in spiritual battle. Well, go to Ephesians 6. That's a start with it. But there's something deeper here that a lot of us don't know. Maybe some of us know about Ephesians 6. Some Christians do. Many Christians, unfortunately, don't. In Ephesians chapter 6, look at verses 10 through 13. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, listen to what Paul says. He says, finally, brother, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we're in a battle against who? You just saw it there. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul's like a pretty serious enemy, correct? That's the thing that most of us might know. But I'm about to pull out to you from where we just were in Romans 7 and other also in Galatians 5, an aspect to this battle, this spiritual battle that we're against, we have against the spiritual forces of evil that a lot of you may not realize. Many do not realize that our enemy has someone working on the inside. See, a lot of times we think we're in this spiritual battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, he's got a spy. He's got an enemy and he's on the inside. Do you know what it is? It's your flesh. Your flesh. The accuser's not on the inside. The accuser's there and he's definitely accusing us before the Father, but he's doing that up there in heaven in the presence of God. But he's got an insider. It's your flesh. And even though you've been born again and you've been made new in your spirit, our bodies are still decaying. Like you've heard me say over the years, when you got saved, you didn't lose 15 pounds. Your cholesterol didn't drop. Your being born again didn't have an effect on your flesh in that way. Your flesh is still under the curse of sin. And that's why Paul talks about learning how to serve God in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And how to serve the Lord with our mind, yet we got this battle going on in our flesh. Look again at verses, uh, four, uh, just start uh, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do evil, sorry, to want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of my God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members or in my body. You see that? You see the word? War. Go to Galatians chapter 5. 
Look at verses 16 and 17. Look closely at what Paul says here. And don't miss this. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Don't miss this. If you walk in the Spirit, will the desires of the flesh go away? Good answer. No, they won't. But if you walk in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But you are going to be tempted by your flesh every day for the rest of your life. Again, like I said, as I was young in my faith and my growth with the Lord, I saw that there was uh, Bible taught that there should be a growth in our grace and a knowledge of the Lord and that there should be an experience of victory over sin as, that would increase as we walk with Jesus. And I subconsciously and foolishly thought the closer I get to Jesus, the less I'll be tempted, the closer I get to Jesus, the less I'll have to deal with any of that stuff. And then one day I was reading in Matthew where Jesus was praying in the garden. And he was praying, Father, I don't want to do this. He was tempted by the tempter in those last hours. They think there was a time that Jesus was closer to the Father and praying in the Spirit and being walking with the Father. It was then and even then he was tempted and it opened my eyes. And God said, Jim, you're going to be tempted the rest of your life. Don't think that pretty soon those, that won't tempt me anymore. Oh, no. That it's, it's, your flesh is going to still be there. And you're going to be at war all the time. You have to learn how to walk in the spirit and have victory over the flesh and not walk in the flesh and lose because they're at war with each other. And the flesh is trying to keep you from doing the things that the spirit wants to do. And the spirit's trying to keep you from doing the things the flesh wants to do. You're in a battle. Oh, yeah, we're fighting against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But our enemy, which is more than just Satan, it's the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy has an insider. It's your flesh. And until the day we get out of these bodies, you're going to be in that battle. So you got a choice now. Are you just going to say, that doesn't sound like any fun? Quit? Or are you going to do like one man that I knew back when I pastored in Chicago? He told me, because he used to serve the Lord, and then he just stopped. I went to visit him, and I said, what's going on? He said, Jim, I know that when I serve the Lord, Satan fights me. I'm tired of fighting him. So I'm just going to give in and let him win. I'm tired of the battle. And unfortunately, this man lost his marriage, lost his relationship with his kids, and just recently lost his life. And it was sad to watch his life as it just got worse and worse and worse. I hope he knew the Lord. I don't know. But I can tell you this much. That's why the Bible continually says, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we don't give up. But I don't know about you, but I actually do. Satan is attacking right now in the area of discouragement and despair and giving up. People are committing suicide even more and more recently in, 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 the, in the world, not just in the world, but also in the church. And I say to you, listen closely to me. You need Jesus on a daily basis to give you the victory. You have to learn how to walk with him and let his spirit empower you to live out the Christian life.
Your spirit and your flesh are continually opposed to each other. Your biggest battle is within you. But as good news, the same person who took on flesh for us and had victory over it lives in us, those of us who believe. And he can give us the same victory each day as we turn to him and walk in the Spirit's power and not in the flesh. Do you see how foolish it is to say, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to give into that temptation anymore. Where is your focus? On that sin, on that temptation. You've already lost. Put your eyes on Jesus. Say, Lord, I need you. This temptation is going to be there, but you've been there too, because the Bible says you've been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Give me that same victory today. Today. Have you ever noticed that Jesus uh, taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Have you noticed back in the wilderness when he fed them with the manna, they would only gather enough for today? Everybody wants to go to that special preacher that's having the Spirit of God pour out and, and go have him lay hands on them and then I'm going to live for Jesus. No, it's not designed that way. He's designed it to be a daily relationship of walking with him in faith and relying on him and his Spirit's power. You can go from you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, to rebuking Jesus just in a few hours, just like Peter did. If you don't know how to daily walk in the spirit, that's why Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is what? Willing. But the flesh is weak. And folks, we need to learn biblically how to walk in the spirit. Now, I'm going to give you some encouragement from the word of God. Go to Ephesians chapter one. And look at verses 15 through 23. 15 to 23 of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's just praised God for the fact that they believed and they were sealed by the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance. And he said, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe." According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to who? To the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says, now that you've been saved and sealed, now my prayer is that God would open your eyes, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'll know him better. Not only the hope to which he's called us and the glorious inheritance that we have, not only in heaven, but also in the saints, but also his mighty power available for us who believe. That same power that rose Jesus from the dead and seated him at the heavenly Father's right hand, that same power is available to us. And he took Jesus and he gave him all authority and he gave him to the church. We have within us and with us the power that defeated Satan and rose from the dead. But we have to choose to walk in the Spirit's power and not in the flesh. And now listen, a lot of people will say things like this. 
Satan, I command you. Satan, I cast you out. And I, Where's your focus? It's on Satan. The Bible actually says in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. When you put your focus on Jesus... That's why even the archangel Michael didn't dare bring accusation against Satan when he was disputing with him over the body of Moses, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Where was Michael's focus? On the Lord. But we've been taught to go fight Satan in our own strength, using Jesus' name and claiming his blood. But actually, we're to focus on Jesus. I say, submit yourself to God. You put your focus there. And he walks away because he ain't dealing with you. He's dealing with Jesus. And that's the one who's already defeated him. And that's the one that he's afraid of. Have you ever noticed when Jesus walked on the earth, the demons who knew that he was not only human also knew who he really was. And the demons, when they saw him, said, we know who you are. Have you come to send us to the abyss before the appointed time? They freaked out when Jesus just walked up. Why? Because he was God, too. And they knew who he was. And you and I have that same Jesus within us. But when we try to fight Satan on our own, even claiming Jesus' name, we've put our focus on, on Satan. We come at him and he says, oh, I like this. No. Learn how to put your eyes on him at that time. And you watch him be defeated. Oh, but there's so much more to this. Go to Romans chapter 8. Actually, we'll go to that in just a second. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not only has he lived in a human body like ours and without sin, we're to go to him. He understands. Put your eyes on him. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking at our enemy. Is that what it says? No, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you ever noticed how Jesus kept his eyes on the Father? Throughout the whole process, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He kept his eyes. There was a brief period, though, where unfortunately for Jesus, but fortunately for us, he had to experience the separation from the Father. And he cried out, where'd you go? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But at the beginning of it, and then, of course, through that time, he couldn't because he had to be separated from the Father to experience that separation on our behalf. And then when it was over, he says it's paid in full to tell us die. It's finished. And he put his eyes back on the Father. He didn't stand there on the cross saying, Satan, you got no power over me. He didn't sit there saying, I'm going to defeat you. Satan would have got his attention. But he put his attention where? On God. 
And a lot of us, thinking we're fighting Satan, are actually giving him the time of day. And God says, don't give him the time of day. Spend your day with me. I've already defeated him. I'll defeat him again for you on a daily basis. By the way, a lot of us may not realize this. We've been set free from sin so that we may live in the spirit. I'm going to say that to you again. We've been set free from sin so that we may live in the spirit. God, we've been set free for God's purposes. Let me take you to John 15 and then we'll go to Romans 8. Go to John 15 and look at verses 5 through 17. In John chapter 15, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's like a, sorry, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you you didn't choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you these things I command you so that you will love one another Jesus says I chose you that you would go and what bear fruit but you know what we do? We then say, oh, we're to go bear fruit. No, that's you trying to accomplish in the flesh what only can be done in the spirit. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will produce fruit. What's the focus? The focus is spending time with him. And let me just tell you, the simple way to get started is just learn to start spending not just in the morning or at night before you go to bed or before you have a meal, but also throughout the day, the communication with the Father, continual communication with the Father, talking with Him, letting Him lead you and guide you. I don't have time to get into it or not today, but I have been praying about something specifically for the last so many years. And today, as I was in my day of walking with him and doing the things that I had to do, recording 12 radio programs, and then I was heading over to go speak at Men in Motion, and then I had a lunch with my board after that, and I had this as well. And I have my day somewhat scheduled. I learned to walk with him, and when I had a couple of extra minutes, I stopped in a certain place that I felt like I was supposed to stop. And right in front of me, again, I don't have time to tell you. If you want to ask later on, I'll tell you. Right in front of me. God dropped what I had been praying for for years. And as I began to say, is this really happening? Lord, is this really you? It just worked and fell out into place. That he actually blessed me with something I had been asking for for years. But it happened not with me going out to go find it, but just by walking with him. And then all of a sudden today he said, there you go. 
Again, don't have time to tell you the cool story. The focus is abiding. The focus should be abiding. But then in time, as you learn to talk to him, by the way, the Bible does say pray without ceasing, right? As you learn to continually talk with him, he's going to start bringing scriptures to your minds. And he's going to be showing you things. But you need to spend time reading it so that he can bring something to your mind and learn to just pray and, and, and learn to read. And in time, you'll begin the practice of that living relationship. It's, it's called practicing the presence of God. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 11. It said, there's therefore now... Remember, something has changed. Those of us who are in Christ. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. We'll come to that later. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, does that sound familiar? If he dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, we're going to break chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 down in a little bit more in the next few studies we may touch on it a little bit tonight and move into it a little bit more down the road. But I want you to just notice the difference here in Paul's writing here in the difference between being in Christ and in the flesh and setting our minds on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit. Look again. It says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now jump down to verse 9. Uh, I'm sorry, verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells within you and anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. So if you are in Christ, who dwells in you? If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you are what? In Christ. If Christ is in you, that means you're in Christ. Can you be in the flesh? No. Listen closely, though. Can you be in Christ and set your mind on the things of the flesh? Yes. That's the problem. Those who are in the flesh can't set their mind on things of the spirit. They can't. They don't have the ability. They've not been set free from sin to serve Christ. Remember, we've been set free from sin in order to walk in the spirit. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They're not saved. They don't have the ability to do that. But those of us who are in Christ, 
still can choose to set our minds, even though we're in Christ, set our minds on things of the flesh. And that's what we're going to start to work on. Go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We must learn daily to set our minds on things of the spirit and daily say no to the things of the flesh. How do we say no to the things of the flesh? By saying yes to the spirit. Did you catch it? Romans chapter 12. You say no to the things of the flesh by saying yes to the things of the spirit. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You want to worship God? Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And in the Greek, that's a daily renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I say to you, Paul says, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Jesus says, abide in me. And if my words abide in you, you will produce fruit. Don't go out to produce fruit. Just go walk with Jesus. I just preached a message recently on how Jesus said in Luke, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But we've been taught to go become fishers of men. The focus should not be evangelism. The focus should be walking with Jesus and following Jesus. Oh, by the way, and as you learn to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus, he's going to use you. He's going to make you a fisher of men. It's going to be a natural outflow. Again, you can't produce fruit on your own apart from him. You could do nothing. You could even try to do things for Jesus, trying to work hard in your flesh for the Lord, giving it all you have. And God says, that counts for nothing before me. Only what's done by me, by faith. Put your eyes on me. Walk with me. Oh, and by the way, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish. Because your focus will be me and your heart will be where it belongs and your desires will all of a sudden become the desires I have for you. And you'll actually get the stuff you ask. Now, what if I just start asking God for things of my flesh? No. I love that. Whoever gave the buzzer. That was pretty good. Very nice. No, there's the wrong answer. Why? Jesus says, abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. But when we start asking for things in the flesh, then the answer is going to be no. But if we learn to walk with him, he is the one. I'm just going to tell you, folks, I'm not going to turn this into health and wealth because the Bible teaches there's going to be tribulation in this world. But I can tell you many Christians are missing out on a lot of blessings because God is a good God. And he's a generous God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. But we've never learned how to abide. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Paul's laid out for us in Romans 7, this struggle that's between our flesh and the spirit. But he ends it with, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. So now I'm trying to serve the Lord in my mind, in the spirit. Let that whole sin flesh thing fall by the wayside. Sorry, Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 17. 
It's been here all along, folks. What we're talking about here has been all along. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now let me stop you right there. Because too many of us have read those verses and we've said, well, I'm to put off the things of the flesh and I'm to put on the things of the spirit. So I'm going to stop saying no, saying yes to anger and lust and all those things. And I'm going to try to be patient and forgiving and kind. You've already missed the whole point and you should have kept reading. Remember at the beginning of this section, he said, set your minds on things above. Put your focus there. Now keep reading. Listen to what he says in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, the Bible has told us to put these things away and to put these things on so we'll recognize the things of the spirit and the things of the flesh. But the moment you say, oh, I'm going to now focus on putting these things off and I'm going to focus on putting these things on. You totally missed it because the scripture has been teaching us all along. How is fruit produced? By walking in the spirit. We're to actually focus on things above. We're to actually spend time with the Lord, believing his word, claiming his truth, looking to him. And by the way, the more you do that, all of a sudden you'll look back and realize I didn't even worry about that other stuff anymore. It's just fallen by the wayside. That frustration I had, it went away. It's been replaced with peace. Isn't that what Philippians 4 says? Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Well, if I'm rejoicing in the Lord always, I can't talk about what's going on in the government. If I'm... Rejoicing in the Lord always, I'm not going to be caught up in what's going on around me. Yeah, but Jim, shouldn't you be alert to the Don't worry, if you walk with Jesus, the stuff you need to know about, you'll know about. As I've learned to practice this more and more, I know what's happening in the world. But you know what? 
I'm not focusing on it. Actually, the more I see what's going on in the world, the more the Spirit of God brings to my mind scriptures that say it's right on schedule. Everything's going to happen just like that. I think about people saying how this war in Ukraine is, is causing a food shortage and there's going to be a food shortage. And the Spirit says, hey, I already told you that was going to happen. In the tribulation period, there's going to be so much famine that it's going to cost a day's wage to get a loaf of bread. We're heading that way. Don't be surprised that that's going on. Put your eyes on me. Don't take them off of me. Jesus says to his disciples as they're going to Jerusalem, they're going to do all this stuff, but I've told you ahead of time so that you won't fall away and that you remember that I've told you and that you won't lose faith. Keep your eyes on me. In this world, you will have trouble, but in me, you will have peace. Did you hear it? Folks, you want to have victory? You want to walk in the spirit? It's not having some guy lay hands on you and your eyes roll back in your head and your tongue does stuff you don't control. Walking in the spirit is focusing on Jesus. Spending time talking to him, listening to his word, letting him speak to your heart. That's why as you, if you spend time in the word, you can then drive your car and God will bring scriptures to your mind and you'll focus on that and he'll talk to you and he'll show you and he'll lead you and he'll guide you. And whatever you do, whether it's word or action, do it all what? In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, I wish I could tell you the rest of the story of God's answering a prayer. And I'll get right to you, Nicole. I wish I could tell you the rest of the story. But throughout the whole story, if I were to take the time to tell you, and it would take all night, interspersed throughout the whole encounter were opportunities for me to share Jesus with people. I mean, it's just it was amazing how this would I'd see this and then that. And then I point this out to somebody and God was all over it. And I didn't even orchestrate it. I just walked with him. Yes, ma'am. It's what we talked about on Good Friday. Into your hands and commit the spirit. Exactly. It was after our good, my daughter says that. It's what we talked about on Good Friday. After the Good Friday service at our church, we all went to dinner. Our family went to dinner at, at Olive Garden. And we sat around the table and we talked about what did God show you tonight in the Good Friday service. And as each one shared what God had showed them, Nicole brought out the fact that Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we always think that that's just like a dying thing. No, that's what we're to do every day. Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. Oh, by the way, um, something's going to happen that's going to try to pull you out of that. People say, oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Actually, I found that the closer we walk with Jesus, the more blessing we are to the people around us. By the way, if you try to do what we just read here and focusing on the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh, it'll become very evident to us if we have his spirit or not. It'll become very evident to you whether or not you have his spirit. That's why 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 10. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We've always read that as, I'm going to purify myself. You can't purify yourself. But as you hope in him, as you keep your focus on him, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And the purity that you've already been given in Christ Jesus will begin to become manifest in your own life and to the people around you. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Did you catch that? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In other words, look at what he's saying here. If you really are born again and God seeds in you, you may still sin and we still do sin. If anyone, he said earlier in chapter one, if we say we don't sin, we lie and the truth's not in us. But he also then says here, but if Christ is in you, you won't make a practice of it. Anybody here? I need some help. I need some encouragement. Anybody else here still sin as a believer? Okay, let me ask you this question. Those of you that raise your hand and thank you for being honest. Um, does it feel good when you do it? No. It doesn't mean you won't be tempted to do it again down the road. But you can't make it your practice and be happy. You can't. But if you abide in him, you won't make a practice of sinning. Again, where's the focus? Stopping sinning? No. Walking with Jesus. Martha, Martha, you're worried about a whole lot of stuff trying to serve me. Mary's chosen what's best. Oh, by the way, don't you think that in the middle of sitting at Jesus' feet, if Jesus ever leaned down and said to Mary, hey, could you go get me a drink of water? She would have jumped up and gotten it, right? But it would have happened at his leading. Not her trying to do what she thought would please him. What did Jesus say to the older brother who said, I've served all you all these years. I've slaved for you and you haven't even given me a goat. He said, my son, I'm always with you. And everything I have is yours. It's always been here. You just receive it by faith. You're still trying to earn it. And many of us still are trying to serve God in the old way of the written code, not in the new way of the spirit. I cannot say it to you enough. He loves you. He's for you. He sent his son to die for you. He loved you when you were his enemy. And he just says, learn how to daily walk with me. Don't turn the walking in the spirit into something be more than Walking with Jesus. I want to walk in the Spirit so I can have the Spirit's power. You've just taken your eyes off of Jesus. Did you catch it? Oh, our enemy's subtle, isn't he? You got a problem. It's in your flesh. 
And every time I get up to teach in front of however many are here and however many are online or wherever it is that God opens the door for me to speak, I have to lay my flesh on the altar because my flesh wants everybody to be impressed with Jim Johnson. But as good as that may feel to my flesh, in the end it won't amount to anything and I'll never be rewarded for it. And I have to learn to say, Lord, I want to teach in your spirit. That's why, by the way, I have more pages of notes and we won't finish where I thought we were going to get tonight. But in the seven minutes left, go to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 1 and then Romans chapter 8 verse 16. And then we'll come back to 1 John 4. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 16. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, see it's a capital S, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He confirms in our spirit that we're his and he's not going to condemn us. Will he convict us? Yes. Will he correct us? Definitely. But it's always for our best and it's in love. Oh, all discipline is not pleasant at the time, Hebrews chapter 12 says. But later it produces righteousness for those who have been trained by it. The more you learn to just keep your eyes on the Lord the more you look back and see how much he has done because you didn't actually work at it. Go to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verses 13 through 21. We'll close with this tonight. 1 John 4, 13 through 21. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Why or how? Because he's given us of his spirit. Remember we just read in Romans 8, 16. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Christ or is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Don't miss this. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And then he says in verse uh, 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know the love God has for you? The answer hopefully is kind of. Do you believe the love that God has for you? Kind of. I'm telling you, the greatest prayer in the Bible is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You have a war going on within you. You have a flesh that is continually trying to pull you away from God, make you question God, make you think that you haven't been good enough for God to love you. All these things. It's going to be a continual battle. But you know what? I got great news for you. Jesus turns to Peter. Remember, this is after Peter says, you're the Christ. 
This is after Jesus says, you're a new creation now. You're the new person. You're no longer Simon. You're rock man. You are the rock man. All right. And then after that, he says to him, oh, but let me fill you in on something else, Peter. He says, uh, Satan has asked to sift you wheat. And I lit him. Oh, he had asked for permission to even tempt you and to test you because no temptation has seized you, but such is common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. And with the temptation, he'll provide a way to escape. First Corinthians 10, 13. Satan had to ask, now that you're my child, Satan had to ask to mess with you. And I lit him, but I have a good purpose in it. Oh, and by the way, um, you're going to fail this test horribly. Before the rooster even crows tomorrow, you're going to deny you even know me three times. Peter says, I can't even fathom that ever happening because I'm not only willing to acknowledge you, I'm willing to go to death. I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I love you the most. Actually, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you know me three times. Oh, and by the way, who was right? Jesus. Jesus meets back up with Peter. Oh, in John 21, when he says, do you love me more than these and feed my sheep and all that? The Bible says it was the third time he appeared to his disciples. Actually, the Bible tells us that before he even met with the rest of his disciples, he had already appeared to Peter. One of the first people Jesus went to go show himself to after he rose from the dead in love was Peter. And he chased him down again in the upper room and he chased him down again when he was out fishing and Ends up that Peter and Jesus end up walking on the shore. Of course, John's walking behind and kind of following along. But Jesus goes on a loving conversation and walk with Peter. And he says, remember the guy that told me he'd die for me? You will. And here's how you're going to die. Of course, Peter says, what about John? How's he going to die? And he, what does Jesus tell him? You follow me. Peter had to learn how to do that. If you keep following Peter, he's still going to make some mistakes. Lord, I'm not going to go to a Gentile's house. Whatever I've called clean, don't call unclean. He's patient. Anybody else here need some patience from the Lord? I do. But he loves you. And my prayer is that you, together with all the saints, would come to know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. And it will not be accomplished by you serving him hard in your flesh, but by you humbling yourself daily and say, I need you. You've begun this good work. You'll finish it. I don't want to start in the spirit and try to perfect myself in the flesh. Teach me how to win this war that I'm in by focusing on you. And thank you that as I do, there will be victory. And I already know ahead of time because you've promised that. And I already say ahead of time, when it happens, you get the credit. I love you guys. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.